Our Father, thank you for helping us today. Uh, In these moments, Lord, I pray that uh, it will be evident that you are here and that the promised gift that you gave your church, the Spirit, would shape um, would shape this moment, would begin to influence and begin to uh, determine in our hearts the direction we should go. Uh, and so uh, reveal to us, Lord, um, uh, more truth and more light for our hearts. And uh, we're grateful. We're grateful that you are always faithful and you're always present with your church. And so uh, convince us, Lord, uh, of our need to hear from you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Luke 24. You have it there in your worship folder. If you have your Bibles there, that's great. Title of the message is called Broiled Fish and the Future of All Good Things. Uh, we'll talk about that. Well, it's a unique day, a unique day in the, in the history of the world. There's lots of philosophies out there, lots of ideas about what the purpose of life is. We are inundated with them. Uh, we have numerous ideas that are influencing us. Um, As a kid growing up in Southern California, um, I remember being fairly clueless about life, and uh, I began to get a little more curious about things as I got into my teenage years, but I did not come to Christ until I was 19 years old, and so I remember those days, and I remember living in a, uh, a town, a beach town, North North County, San Diego. My parents had bought a little bungalow on a cliff, and it was an amazing little spot, and uh, I was uh, going to college down there, trying to figure out my life, what I was going to do, and uh, it was a beautiful little spot there on the beach. Um, And just down the street from 4th Street on Encinitas is uh, a meditation area, a a place where people have come to do pilgrimages. And uh, it was a place for people to come and meditate and to find peace. And um, so we got used to these folks. They were there, visitors. Some people lived there. And um, there had been a yogi from India who had come to the United States in the 1930s. And um, his name was the Paramhansa Yogananda. And um, sometimes I bring up this story just to say his name, because it's always fun to say his name. So, the Paramhansa Yogananda. And uh, these folks were um, following his teachings. And uh, so I was, uh, in the 70s, we lived overseas, and um, I had been able to observe uh, Hinduism and Actually, in eighth grade, I went to a small American school where half of the building was American kids and the other half was Islamic kids. And uh, during recess, I played cricket with the Islamic kids, and I would bat this way. You don't put the, you know, know, cricket, you put it down. I'd bat this way, just knock that thing right out of it. Anyway, so um, uh, 
So I had an influence of different religions, and I was fascinated with the world of, of sort of, you know, sort of some, somewhat esoteric kind of things. And so I was sort of the epi- in the epicenter for what is now sort of kind of New Age type stuff. So um, one moment, though, in my life I remember before I became a Christian was there was an open house. Uh, someone was selling their house, and so my mom wanted to go down the street and and just kind of, you know, look around the house. So I went down there with her. And uh, this house was right next to the Self-Realization Fellowship. That's the name of the place. So inside this house was a meditation room. And what it was was a very dark room with four uh, images that were backlit. Of, uh, and the images were uh, Mahatma Gandhi from India, um, the Paramhansa Yogananda, um, Encinitas, California, I guess, <laughs> and um, Martin Luther King Jr., and then Jesus. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I'm not claiming any special insight at this moment, but I do remember an impression I had. Maybe it was from watching Peanuts on TV with uh, the Christmas story, you know, and where one of the Peanuts characters reads Luke chapter 2, and for unto us a, a, a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. But I remember looking at this, and I remember having, oh, I guess, general respect for these people, Martin Luther King Jr., and I just thought, I looked at Jesus, and I wondered, what, how is it that he is on the same level as these other other people. I didn't know what else to think, but I knew something of the philosophy. And here's what the philosophy was. The philosophy is that among all the great leaders of the world has been the same spirit. They've all had the same spirit. Now, they were all different people, but they had the same spirit. So Jesus was the person And Christ was the spirit. So that same Christ spirit descended upon Martin Luther King Jr. That same Christ spirit descended upon Mahatma Gandhi. And so this is this sort of this kind of pantheistic thing that uh, all religions are teaching essentially the same thing or they're all after the same thing or they're all animated by the same spirit. And I remember this moment thinking, something is not right with this picture. I didn't know what else to do with it, but something is just not right. Christianity presents to us a unique individual. Um, He is God the Son, born into human flesh, And presented to us as history, not myth, not story, not some sort of ghost-like figure, not some sort of spirit, but comes to life again as a flesh and bone human experience. That is the unique aspect of the Christian faith. 
So in a sense, Christianity is not a religion in that way. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is a person. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. So the truth and the life. So truth relates to his person. So we're not talking about some abstract philosophical or spiritual principle. We're talking about a person who rose from the dead. And so we have before us today the the account of Jesus very casually, very calmly asking his disciples, do you have anything to eat? As if nothing really significant has happened at all. Let's continue on with life as we know it. And so they, someone figures out that we've got some broiled fish for Jesus. And you would think Jesus has a world to save, that he'd be very anxious to get them up and going and train them and get them out there and going, but he is here, relaxed, instructing his disciples, enjoying time with them, and eating broiled fish. We are called upon in this passage to compare Jesus with all the religious leaders and all the religious teachers, compare him with many, perhaps some good and well-meaning people, do they have saving power? Compare him to a cause that you're living for. Compare him to an ideology that you believe is, uh, is all important. Uh, Jesus is presenting himself to us today in this scripture And he is presenting himself as very different than anyone who has come along. I want you to notice, first first of all, in verse 36, notice his, his benediction. The first words he says in his resurrection body. He says to them, verse 36, peace to you. Peace to you. This is really the first message of the gospel. The first message of the gospel we who believe in Jesus, we are told in Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The enmity, the bitterness, the war, the strife is over between ourselves and God. And Jesus stands between us and God as our mediator, and he declares to us that through him, peace is now possible. First words are words of peace. Notice that he also addresses their fears and their anxieties. They were startled and frightened, verse 37. And he begins to question why would they be so troubled and why would they be so doubtful. And then he directs them to his hands and his feet and he assures them that he is the same person, that he's not a spirit, but he has a body. And he shows them in verse 40, he shows them his hands and his feet. We are today the recipients of a record, a reliable record. The testimony that Jesus rose from the dead is in front of you in Scripture as a historical report of a reliable report of the one who rose from the dead. And this is to address our core fears and anxieties. 
He has an open invitation to inspect his body. These wounds in his hands and his feet are, have been described as trophies of his death. They are unashamed marks of his suffering. He is the lamb who conquered in a most unusual way through death. His body was his weapon to slay death. And as Augustine says, he endured death as a lamb, he devoured it as a lion. He is the lamb and he is the lion. He is the one who was slain and who conquers through his death. Now notice the uh, continuation of life through the body of Jesus, that we see him here again eating broiled fish, and he's enjoying life. Life continues on. Isn't that what you want in life? When a loved one passes away, don't you want to hear their voice again? When you are separated from someone's physical body, do, do you not want to be reunited with them? It's the one question I get, as, and it's, it's a reasonable and good question, as a minister at a funeral service, and questions are asked, will I see them again? Will we be reunited? Will my family be reunited? And the answer is that through Jesus, of course, these are the things that God promises in the new heavens and the new earth, that this life is just chapter one, as C.S. Lewis says, of a great book. That's just starting. And of course, everything that you enjoy in this life is just a sample of the, of the world to come. Every longing, every desire, every, everything that you would want that would enrich your life, God certainly knows and God created, God made, God thought of your taste buds. God imagined what it might be like to look at a beautiful sunset. God created your eyes. God imagined humanity. God imagined and created. We are the Lord's created in, on the sixth day. We are the representatives of God made in his image to walk this earth and enjoy a kind of co-sovereignty, if you will, with God. He made us to reign over his beautiful creation. And through Jesus we see Jesus eating in this future body. And he is the prototype of what's to come. He's the prototype of a new generation of humanity that will be shaped after him. So this is the future of all good things. Today is the future of all good things. Life continues on. And then notice that we and the disciples needed instruction about the central truth of Scripture. Look at verse 44. Oh, I encourage you to mark this in your Bibles. Take a look at this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I've been training you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, that's a huge section of our Bibles. And the Psalms, you could, you could say that this is representative of the poetic books of the Bible. Essentially what Jesus is saying is the Old Testament revelation was always speaking of a son to come, 
a special son who would enter into suffering and he would rise again. There are pictures abundant of that theme and he instructs them. We as a church, we as individual Christians, we are actually required to interpret our Bibles as a Christian book. Look at how Jesus, imagine having a Bible study with Jesus. If you did a study on David, David and Goliath, or, or Moses, or any of, the, any of the stories of the Old Testament, we would not just be gathering facts. We would be learning about our need for redemption, a picture of our Redeemer. The whole book unfolds as a, a revelation of Jesus Notice also in verse 45 the necessity of what theologians call illumination. Um, That's why we pray before we hear God's word preached. We pray a prayer of illumination. That means, Lord, help us to, to understand. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, that's a lifelong process, by the way. But oh, what a joy it is when God does that, when you begin to see Christ leaping out of the scriptures. I hope that is your your experience. Hmm. Then notice the resurrected Jesus has mission as central for our lives. Notice what he does here. And he said to them, look at verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, that's the Holy Spirit, upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high go tell go tell and you will be empowered by the spirit to be my witnesses now as a church collective a ragtag group of people all different kinds of backgrounds and strengths abilities weaknesses we are this ragtag collection of witnesses we witness by our worship, we witness by our lives, we, we stumble forward, we certainly do not witness perfectly, but we are in a small, small, perhaps a candle power way, reflective of what God can do in someone's life. The final age has descended upon the world. Jesus now sends his church out, tell the world about this final age. The final days of the world have been declared through the one who suffered and died. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in these last days, these days that were to come, these days, in these days, God has spoken to us in his Son. The great revelation has come. Greater than anything else that proceeded in the Old Testament, the great revelation, God, through his very own Son, has revealed the plan, the plan of redemption. There's a lot of drama. We should be on the edge of our seats. This is great news. We are central in the church around the world to God's plan. We are a suffering church You hear accounts of the church in 
in Egypt suffering. Around the world, the church is marked by suffering. The moment Christ died, the veil in the temple was torn, meaning that access to God the Father was now provided through the atoning work of Jesus. The final age of the world had come, and through Jesus, people now can access the Father directly. You do not have to be in Jerusalem to find God. You do not have to be in a particular location. Everywhere Jesus can be accessed. Now, going back to the images I saw that day, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and the Paramhansa Yogananda. Wow, Jesus is a bit different, isn't he? He's a bit different. He's quite a bit different. Jesus now speaks to his world through the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus, alive, ascended to his Father. He's the king over a kingdom that cannot be seen, but nonetheless his power goes forth. He is the unique one who rose from the dead, fulfilling all the scriptures, instructing us from heaven. And he is with his church, and he bids us to lean into the future, to take the Lord's Supper in the midst of sorrow and declare, I will celebrate, anticipating the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will be part of the last age of this world when Jesus comes back. The continuation of life God always intended. This sorrow that death brings, the sorrow that this suffering and affliction of this life brings is but a moment. And Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, is the one, the new Adam through whom we will live and be represented. And he seals to us his redemption today. He declares to us that you can see my work, hold it in your hands, taste it, consume it, know that I am with you and that we are friends through the atonement of Jesus. This is remarkable, remarkable. We as a church exist to help and train people in really a gospel-centered life. Uh, we, we battle our idols. We battle uh, many struggles as a church. If you find yourself today looking to connect with the church, we'd love to, to hear from you and to enjoy uh, any of your questions and spend time with you and to get to know you and be available for you. And so let's pray that God would seal these words to our hearts. Our Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus will shape our bodies into glorious bodies. We thank you that when you appear, Lord Jesus, we will be like you. Father, we thank you that we will be raised a spiritual body and that we will forever enjoy 
human life. Father, thank you that you did not give up on uh, humanity. Father, thank you that you were willing to uh, be long-suffering toward this world. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. Uh, We pray that you will bring uh, saving faith to many. Father, I thank you that uh, you were merciful to me for I was in darkness, born into this world as a fool, uninterested, disobedient, disregarding your will. But you had mercy on me. Thank you for that. Thank you for all that you have called today, God. Give them, give them a sense of your presence. Give them a sense of your abiding love. Help them to believe that life will continue on forever and to live that way. We thank you for this moment when we can consider what it means that Jesus rose from the dead and live as those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb with all our disappointments, with all that doesn't happen in our life, with all that we want to be different in our life. We have remarkable promises And we thank you for just a remarkable day that we've enjoyed in the gathering of your church. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.